Welcome to Ha'igeret, or The Message, a unique journal of original and plagiarized Jewish thought in the marriage of my grandfather, Benjamin Arya ben Leah, for a refuah for Esther Batsipora, and for peace in Israel. It's really crazy, but this week we begin reading from the fourth book of the Torah, Bamidbar, or Numbers. Bereshit Genesis tells the story of the beginning of the world and of the Jewish people. Shemot Exodus tells the story of the exit from Egypt, but the entrance into a Brit, a covenant with God. Vayikra Leviticus tells us how to be in that covenant with laws and guidance. Bamidbar, or Numbers, charts the journey from Har Sinai, Mount Sinai, to nearly entering Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. We make some mistakes and end up spending a bit more time in the desert than we planned, hence the name Ba Midbar, meaning in the desert. And then Dvarim, or Deuteronomy. Well, we, we're not there yet, so I don't know. I don't want to spoil anything. We'll get there eventually. So now we begin our journey through Ba Midbar, Numbers. The English name is Numbers because Moshe, Moses, is commanded to take a census at the beginning and at the end of this sefer, this book of the Torah. It's not like Moshe realized he needed an accurate census count so he could reapportion the House of Representatives, which is the main reason that we have a census in the United States. And God definitely knows how many people there are, so why take a census? A census in general sees to it that all are counted equally. Rashi, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, comments that God continually counts the Jewish people out of fondness for us. Other commentary in the Midrash teaches that each person was like a precious pearl to God, all equally valuable and worthy, like the feeling one has towards their children. Well, that's that's lovely. Everyone being equal. Our, our modern Western minds love that. Except that it wasn't everyone counted equally. It was just men over the age of 20. So practically, we're counting people who can be part of a fighting force. That's why it's men over 20, which women and children were excluded from in those times. But I can't help feeling not seen by this. And I have to say, I've been feeling rather unseen in relation to a few other things this week. For example, the rampant false information that has been spread on social media in regards to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. In that, I have felt very unseen. Our modern Western world, as aforementioned, is terrified of being considered not progressive. And so they hop on the bandwagon of condemning a complex geopolitical situation they have no stake in. It's as if the very whiff of being considered unwoke is enough to push everyone to the other side of the conflict. Though the majority of progressive or left-leaning parts of the world have turned on Israel in the wake of this craziness, as to be expected when you have no stake in the game, interestingly enough, Jews on the whole have remained steadfast. A Pew report came out this week, had some interesting findings. 71% of Jews total identify or lean Democrat or to the left. So it's not like suddenly everyone ticks a different box. So what, what happened? In regard to Judaism, progressive Jews, when reading Parshiot like the current one, can become uncomfortable. But at the whiff of female oppression, do we denounce our Judaism? I don't know. I feel like the answer is no. I may feel a bit unseen or uncomfortable, but I don't leap off the Jewish train. We combat this feeling by taking the time to learn, research, investigate the text we are studying. Sometimes we find answers we like and sometimes we don't. But as we do with kashrut, the laws of keeping kosher or other hukim laws, we recognize that the Torah is a divine document. And sometimes its truth is beyond us. We don't understand, but that doesn't mean that there is no reason. If we don't find an explanation that we like, 
We don't leave. Because the God that has given us so many valuable things, community, ritual, traditions, meaning, purpose, is also the God that gave us life. The God that gave us this infuriating mind that just won't leave things alone. Progressive Jews stick with Israel too for that reason, I think. The country that has continually been the only democratic voice in the Middle East, the country that has all but solved the water shortage crisis, the country that made the desert bloom, the country that will take you in no matter the situation, that country has given us life too. People have tried to remove religion from the equation in regard to the whole conflict, but it's impossible. It's not about land. It's about the land. Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, the land that was promised to Avraham, the land that we have the immense privilege to belong to now. The land that is our ancestral homeland, the land that after 2,000 years of being kept from, we return to exactly 73 years ago tomorrow, May 14th, 1948. One of the most contested parts of this holy war that is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is the city of Jerusalem. To Jews, Jerusalem is the city where the Beit HaMikdash, the holy temple, the most holy of all sites in the Jewish world, was housed. Today, that area is the old city, the Ir Ha'atika. We learn that the Shechina, God's presence, still dwells in the area of the Temple Mount, or Har Habayit, or Al-Aqsa Mosque, the big golden dome, whatever you want to call it. Though there's actually a prayer ban for non-Muslims. The majority opinion as well of Orthodox rabbis is that a Jew should not enter the Temple Mount because we would be stepping in the most holy of all sites in Judaism. The Kotel, the Western Wall, is a wall of the Temple, but the Temple Mount is roughly where the Kodesh Kodeshim, the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum where the Kohen Gadol would be in the presence of God, was. Because we cannot know exactly where that physical spot is, the risk of defiling it is too much. And to Muslims, the Temple Mount, Al-Aqsa Mosque, is their third holiest site, the spot they believe Muhammad ascended to heaven at. This past Monday was Yom Yerushalayim, Jerusalem Day, and when speaking to my Sunday school students about its purpose, I gave them a prompt. What do you think of when you think of Jerusalem? Most of them have not been to Israel, so most things they referred to were either related to or simply the Kotel, the Western Wall. In very simple terms, I explained to them that in 1948, in the War for Independence, we lost East Jerusalem. Jordan had control over the Kotel for 19 long years, and Jews weren't allowed there. Yom Yerushalayim, at the end of the Six-Day War, is the day that Jerusalem was unified, east with west. Israel won the Ir HaKodesh, the holy city, back. So I said, if we didn't have the Kotel and went to Jerusalem, to which they responded, oh man, oh no. Yerushalayim is the Kotel. Yerushalayim is the location of the Beit HaMikdash. It's, it's not just about who gets the most toys at the end of the day. The conflict is about religion. But I digress. Back to counting. All of our festivals, our Hagim, are given as a specific day of a specific month, like Nisan the 14th, but not Shavuot, the holiday we celebrate Zman Matan Torah, the time of the gift of our Torah. Shavuot is simply 50 days from the second night of Passover, of Pesach, which is this coming Monday and Tuesday. The counting, though, up to this date, is reminiscent of the days immediately after the exodus from Egypt, Yetziat Misraim, when the Jewish people excitedly counted the days, each day working to elevate themselves to be worthy of Kabbalah Torah, the reception of the Torah. Shavuot being inextricably linked to Pesach because of this counting, teaches us that the exodus is an important prelude to the giving of the Torah. Spiritual liberty, 
you know, receiving guidelines to live life, for example, the Torah, can only come after physical liberty. Spiritual liberty can be a lot of things. I'm going to be thinking about this idea as we enter this coming Shabbat and Shavuot. What could that liberty be? Liberty from social media, liberty from feeling unseen by our peers, liberty from feeling unseen by our religion. It can be lots of things. So that's the energy I'm taking in with me. To return to my previous digression, if you were feeling downtrodden, disappointed, upset, helpless, or overwhelmed about the sheer amount of misinformation out there in regard to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, you are not alone. I found that the Jerusalem Post, the Times of Israel, and I-24 News are the most fair, balanced news sources. If you want to follow great pro-Israel and pro-Palestine influencers, I suggest Chen Mazig, Rudy Rockman, Unpacked, A Wider Frame, and others. To put it simply, Israel defends its people and wants security. The other side will not be happy until we have been destroyed. Hamas, the power in Gaza, does not value human life, Palestinian or Jewish. We have and always will stop at nothing to preserve life. There's one Jewish-majority country and 50 Muslim-majority countries. You'd think we'd get a break every now and again, you know? We have been and always will be outnumbered. We're only 0.01% of the world population, so perhaps we should be flattered that the world is just obsessed with us. Israel, a tiny speck of land in the center of the world, inhabited by a stubborn, passionate people. I would watch that movie. I hope that we'll continue to daven to pray that the fighting should end soon. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, or just want to talk about things, please write to me. I hope you have a great weekend. Shabbat shalom. Chag Sameach. Thanks so much for listening.